0: as bar heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this tremendous privilege, this unparalleled honor of gathering together in your son's good name. Father, what a privilege that is. Thank you for putting us side by side by individuals that are willing to jump in the trenches together to fight this battle not of flesh and blood, Father, but of spiritual nature. Father, thank you for teaching us and thank you for your patience and your mercy and your love along the way for showing us and revealing to us what your sovereignty actually is, what your integrity really is and what it means to be exercised and what it looks like when it's exercised in this world and through... We individuals, as instruments of said righteousness, Father, we just continue to ask for your protection, that you put a hedge around us, that when we're weak, we become strong because we depend on you, Father, and you alone, and not our natural tendencies or the devices or the reasoning or the rationalism that comes so easily to the human flesh. Father, we just pray for this guidance so earnestly, we pray for your protection. We're so grateful for your love. Father, we're so grateful and thankful for your Son's work on the cross to make a morning like this a reality for all of us. We just ask for your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Amen. Again, the deceitfulness of sin. um, I want to do a quick review before we get back to it proper because, frankly, that series, three parts, sin deceives us away from gratitude for our healer-deliverer was just wonderfully placed. Um, And so I want to begin this way up here on the board. These are the things that stuck out to me As I listened and went through Scott's notes in detail, sin's device. Sin deceives us away from giving gratitude to God for whatever good things we do have. It's just so easy. The example that kept percolating up this past week was health. Uh, I think that's one that a lot of us can relate to. uh, Good health uh, or lack of health in certain areas. But the point the Spirit was making is that we always have something to be grateful for. As far as I know, every one of you can see me, right? That means you have at least one good eye that works. And you can hear me, which means you have one good ear at least that works. And you know what? That's all you need. And instead of lamenting over the thing you don't have, maybe you're grateful and delivered and set free by having gratitude for the things You do have. Amen? As I was listening to the series, I was struck with a recurring thought, and it's something that can derail our gratitude in a moment's time. During one of the messages, the idea of unfairness arose. It's not fair, life's unfair. Why has it always happened to me? Why am I the guy with one eye and one ear? Why am I the guy that's alone? Why am I the guy that's struggling? Why am I the guy without a job? Why am I the guy without a spouse? Why am I the guy with a bad dog? I don't know. What's what's the complaint today? Nobody seems to think that life is fair anymore. Remember the title of our message, The Deceitfulness of Sin. So I was listening to the messages and the idea of unfairness arose and it was within the context of the ever-present temptation for all of us to question God. Because that's what that is. That's a blatant questioning of God. So as a side note, anytime this type of reasoning arises and harkens back to the Garden of Eden, where the serpent got the first two humans to question God's sovereign will. Satan suggested that it wasn't, you know, entirely fair that God put any limitation on them. How can that be fair, right? Why not this particular fruit? Why not this particular area of the garden? Why not this particular tree? That's not fair. Some of you could say that about yourselves. It's not fair that you don't get to dabble in this or that in your life. And so what do you do? You break his command and you do it anyways. So Satan suggested that it wasn't entirely, quote, fair that God put limitations on them. This evil thinking led to the first sin, of course, for mankind. The question is, do you realize that this is the same pattern that persists for all of us, even today, as individuals? I mean, what what would even possess us to say, is God really fair? Have I been fairly treated in this lifetime? What would ever possess us to even entertain satanic, quote, options? Here's a quote I sent to D.J. and Scott this morning from reading, personal reading. When men are tempted, they usually try to place the onus on God, the devil, or their fellow men. Actually, the blame rests entirely on themselves. The practical example being, if if I tempt you and you fall, who does God hold responsible? You. But like this particular person said, when men are tempted, they usually try to place the onus on God, the devil, or their fellow men. Actually, the blame rests entirely on themselves. So here's a viable question for all of us to dwell upon. And this was really one of the first things that, like I say, kind of came out of those, that mini-series here in the board, is there anything that is actually unfair, quote unquote, in our lives? Is there? Is there actually anything that is unfair in our lives? Sin will lie to us and tell us that there are things, but strictly speaking, is this true? Is this where our mind should be? What's fair, if we're totally honest, is eternity in the lake of fire. That's fair. If you know anything about your own depravity, that's actually what's fair. Shouldn't that be what we dwell on? If you want to talk, in other words, if you want to talk about fair, if you want to occupy any of your time with the concept and the, you know, the contemplation of fairness, shouldn't that be enough to occupy every moment of our day. What we really deserve is the lake of fire. But what we really have is Janet Jackson, what have you done for me lately? Oh, I know you saved me. But what have you done for me lately? Because I'm getting a sense this is not fair anymore. You saved them and and then you prospered them. You saved them and you gave them a... A dog that doesn't poop on my rug, on their rug. You saved them and you gave them a spouse. You saved them and you gave them a job. You saved them and you gave them a family that's not out of control. Ridiculous. You did all these things plus this. What is mine? What have you done for me lately? The question is is there actually anything unfair in our lives, in the grand scheme of things? Sin will tell you. Sin will lie to you. Sin will do as the serpent did in the garden. And say, you know what? There is. God just doesn't want you to know. God's holding out on you. You see. Go to Romans 5.6. Romans 5.6. What is fair, if we're honest, is eternity in the lake of fire. And so this is the genesis of this mini-series that we just covered over the past three uh, messages. Romans 5, 6. For while we were still helpless, you know what that means, guys, in context there? You can read it for yourself. Unable to pluck ourselves from certain eternal death. Oh, wait a minute. You mean, in all fairness, we should have remained helpless, destined for the lake of fire? Yeah. But that didn't happen. While we were in that state, to be fair, unable to pluck ourselves from certain eternal death, something that all of humanity deserves, being depraved, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. It doesn't say the sort of godly, it says the ungodly. That's you. That's you. So if you want to talk about fairness, maybe we should start here. Maybe we should stop listening to the whispers, to Oprah, or Dr. Phil, or your ridiculous romantic novels, and your fantasies therein and thereout, and your TV shows, where you get your doctrines, those kinds of things. Maybe we should stop Again, the question on the table is up on the board. Is there anything that is actually, quote, unfair in our lives? Up here on the board, arguably, the most effective, identifiable way of convincing us of this lie that, you know, life is unfair, is to distract us from all the things we should be grateful for. That starts the road. If you just went home and dwelled on things that you should be grateful for, you'd be fine. You wouldn't be calling up your friends, complaining, or typing your little texts or your little emails, moaning and groaning and bleeding all over the place 24-7 like a child. You wouldn't have to do that. You'd be grateful. And in gratitude, as we learned, you get deliverance. When you abide in gratitude, you have peace. You have contentment. and You don't need to go any farther than the cross. That's the point. But sin deceives you away from that one fundamental basic truth. So I was reflecting on this. So we might ask ourselves, where do all these lies come from? We're being lied to if we're tempted and fall. Where do all these lies come from? The answer, figuratively speaking, is when the kingdom of darkness whispers them in our ears. And that kingdom, by the way, exists inside of you, for the flesh is a slave to it. The Bible speaks of listening to the doctrines of demons. That's 1 Timothy 4.1. So I don't know about you all, but I've never knowingly heard a demon's voice. Not knowingly. I may have talked to a... I'm sure I've talked to a possessed person. I think I know a few, actually, in the history of my life. But not knowingly. So, in other words, the demon's not, I can't tell a demon's whispering right now, so this is a figurative statement. The point is that the spirits find ways to communicate. For example, media especially. Most of you have smartphones, right? Something that has some connection to the internet. Well, that's literally opening up a pipeway to a sewer and expecting not to be filthy not to be inundated with sewage. The Apostle John had something to say about this, these whisperers of lies, you know, the lies like life is unfair, you know, that lie. Go to 1 John 4.1. 1 1 John 4.1. I've been having a lot of conversations lately with um, you know, uh, folks on the leadership team, what have you, and just talking about one basic truth, which is, listen, God is not a God of confusion, okay? God does not lie, okay? The Holy Spirit is God, who will not confuse and will not lie. So if the Spirit says to you, some Spirit says to you, this is right. And then, let's, just to be fair, some spirit says to me, no, the exact opposite is right. One of us is wrong. One of us is wrong. Both of us need to test the spirit to see if what this spirit is suggesting to us through a variety of means. I call them whisperings just to, as a collective. We both need to test the spirits to see if what's being whispered to us is biblical. If what's being whispered to us is biblical. Over the course of this series, more than ever, I am now convinced that people, even so-called Christians, do not want to hear the truth. They do not want to hear the truth. They would actually prefer the whisperings and the doctrines of demons. It doesn't mean that a demon is personally whispering. It's a doctrine of demon. Things demons would hold as righteous I am convinced that people, now more than ever, people do not want the truth. What does John say? The apostle of love. The same thing I'm always saying. I love you all. There's a reason why I'm up here. This is hard. I go on vacation. I get tortured. I come back. I get beat on worse. I find out all hell's breaking loose at the church and in individuals. What does he say, the Apostle of Love, verse 1? Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Do not believe every spirit, but test. Test the spirits. Where is the watermark? Look up. You ready? Here it is. It's right in front of my face. This is how you test the spirits. You don't come back to a guy like me and say, well, I feel like this is right. Or I feel this way or I feel that way. There's just so much pressure, I'm just going to quit. I'm just going to walk away from the truth for a while. I'm just going to run on emotions. Isn't that what Christianity is all about nowadays? We might as well just drop it. Drop the facade. Christianity nowadays is nothing more than emotionalism. It's not about the truth. It's not about God. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. God does not lie. He is not a God of confusion. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that is coming, and now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world." The Apostle John stated, we must test the spirits. How do you do that? How you feel? Because I'm telling you right now, a series like this is not going to make you feel all that good. Because everyone in here is white-knuckling some fleshly something. And sadly, when the spirit pries your fingers off, some of you will leave. Some of you will quit. Some of you will walk away. Some of you will stop making excuses and justifying why you're paying attention, literally, to the doctrines of demons. Look, if you can't find what you're doing in Holy Scripture, you have a problem. What are you going to test it against? How do you justify what it is you're doing if you're not willing to put it to the test? So the Apostle John said, we must test the spirits. Don't believe them all. For the one unerring truth is that the Spirit of Christ will never lie to us, which means He will never have us dwell on the so-called unfairness of our lives. He will never author that in your life. He will never say to you, hey, do you ever think that your life is unfair? The Spirit of Christ will never author that. That is serpentine in nature. That goes all the way back to the garden. You know you have other options, right? Like DJ said earlier in my office today. Well, my computer blew up for 45 minutes, by the way. I couldn't do anything. But anyways, like he said, people I'm going to go off on a God will never have us dwell on the so-called unfairness of our lives. That's serpentine. That's all the way back to the garden. Nothing good ever comes from that vector. Do you see? God the Holy Spirit will never set you out on that vector. He'll never say, even for a moment, preoccupy yourself with how, quote, unfair your life is right now. He will never say that to you. He'll say what I'm trying to say to you. Be grateful. Have a little gratitude. Stop imploding on yourselves stop letting your flesh dominate you with emotionalism most of you are like wishy-washy women men and women I'm sorry if I'm that's insulting to you stand firm in the faith act like men why is that in Holy Scripture Because it takes fortitude to stand up when you're under this kind of pressure. There's no way a ministry can teach the deceitfulness of sin in 28 parts and not be under incredible pressure. Incredible pressure. It's like running up to a giant hornet's nest and kicking it and expecting not to get stung. The only crappy part is is the Some of the bees coming out of yourself. The Holy Spirit will never set you on that vector, ever. Here's what the Spirit of Christ says, for example, at least primitively. The Spirit of Christ says, be grateful. He says, pray within the sphere of this gratitude. Love. Rest. And take comfort in His promises. That's what the Spirit of Christ says. Do you see anything about options? Do you see anything about the unfairness of your life? No. He's saying, do you have any idea how much I've given you? Do you, know, you have any idea how much it took for me on that cross that day? Do you have any idea what this is that I've done for you? That's what he says. And there's the serpent right there. Yeah, but. Change of channel. Yeah, but. And it's a soap commercial. Yeah, but God gave you ugly skin. Something's wrong here. God gave you a bad ticker, a bum leg, bad eyesight, intolerable flatulence. Why is Ann laughing so much? I don't want to know, Don. i trying to loosen you up. Some of you are like, what is flatulence? <laughs> Look it up. Not in the Bible. Not specifically. The Spirit of Christ says be grateful. Pray in the sphere of this gratitude. Love. Rest and take comfort in His promises. If you do those things, you're good. Go to 2 Corinthians 1.3. 2 Corinthians 1.3. God is love. God is also a God of comfort. He's not a God of confusion. Jesus Christ is my peace I give to you. It's not like these things are unavailable to you. But sin keeps lying to you. Second Corinthians three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the suffering of Christ are ours ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Another point came out during this past mini-series, and it has to do with the point on the board, specifically the second bullet there. Pray. On the topic of praying or being, quote, on our knees, it's a, big, it's a good question. What about being on your knees? What takes you to your knees? Up here on the board. Should we be on our knees at times, or at least figuratively, all the time? In other words, should we only go to God in certain predetermined circumstances? Or should He be our everything? When we're typing something on our phone, or we're picking a flower in the garden, or planting a tomato seed, or looking at the trees, or working, or whatever, shouldn't we be worshiping Him in everything that we do? Shouldn't that be the thing that we abide in? Shouldn't that... Really personify and duo, putting on the Lord Jesus Christ? Isn't that what this is all about? We're supposed to, to, to put him on, like, like clothing. We're supposed to wear him. I mean, I don't jump out of my suit to go check out the piano. Thank God, right? You guys be like... <laughs> I don't sh- jump out of my suit and then jump back in my suit. I have people do this to me all the time. They want to say, well, that's Pastor Ed, and that's Ed. no. I'm the same guy. I'm not wearing any less of Jesus Christ as Ed than when I'm Pastor Ed behind a pulpit. I'm the same guy. But you see, sin likes to divide. That's how sin, if you look at sin in its history, it's always trying to fracture. What is God if He's not unity, if He's not one? It's one of the things the Jews were enamored with the most with God, that he was unity as a, as a being. What do you think sin is after? He's trying to fracture. That's what I see in this congregation. I just told Todd this, and Scott, I think, as well, before class. This is what I see in my congregation, a bunch of fractures. Because the pressure comes on. And what happens to a vessel when pressure is on it? It cracks. And it leaves openings. And Satan takes advantage. And the kingdom of darkness takes advantage. And your own sin nature takes advantage of those cracks. God is unity. We call it the the unity of the faith. The more faithful we become, the more unified we are. So what about this praying? And what about being on our knees. Should we be on our knees? At times, or at least figuratively, all the time? Case in point that came up this past week, death, or the threat of physical death specifically. Why is physical death the only way some find themselves on their knees? Aren't we to die daily? Allah, 1 Corinthians 15, 31. So, in this sense, be on our knees always. I mean, isn't that our life? Isn't that our existence that we die to self? In other words, are we to be brought low at times? Or should we be lowly, humble, Prostrated, worshiping God all the time, you know, like the angels in heaven do. In other words, are we supposed to to fracture our faith even and expect the fullness of Christ to manifest itself in us? Are we supposed to do like sin wants to do, fracture perfect unity and then expect all the blessings of said unity? Satan's working in this congregation right now to fracture this church. And some of you are guilty. Go to Revelation 4.8. Revelation 4.8. This is what happens when pressure comes upon a body like this. Cracks happen because people don't have the Constitution yet. But that's okay. You know what? At least you're here. At least you're taking in the one thing that can patch those things up and fortify. Revelation 4, 8. So the question is, should we be brought low at times or all the time? And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And here it is. Day and night, they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. All day, all night. Hey, why don't we do this? Why is why are we not the living manifestation of this attitude? Seems like they're pretty happy and content up there. Do you see the distinction? Here we are down here. We don't do this all the time. And you know what? We don't have anywhere near their happiness and contentment. They're totally thrilled just to be worshiping God. How about you? Again, the point on the board. Should we be on our knees at times or at least figuratively all the time? Do you think that maybe, just maybe, this is the crux of our Just Ended mini-series? As it came about in the series, to worship God, for example, pray without ceasing, is the will of God. Right? That came out in the series. To worship God, to pray without ceasing, for example, is the will of God. As Holy Scripture clearly states, to do the will of God is to receive blessings. The Bible and your faithful pastor says, read your Bibles. Here's a principle from this series worth reiterating then in terms of perspective. Peace, freedom, and no doubts or anxiety, these are divine gifts of God granted to those who obey His Word. Is there anything more valuable? Either you think this ministry is on topic or you think it's not. If you think it's on topic and it keeps saying to you, you know, read your Bible. Take in the lessons, read the blogs, all that kind of stuff. If that keeps like repeating itself and in the same breath you say, oh yeah, this ministry is from God. Then what are you doing? if not fracturing your own faith, your own spiritual walk, by picking and choosing. Here on the board, if you don't read your Bibles, how will you obey? More specifically, what will you obey? What will you obey? If you don't read your Bibles, what are you supposed to obey? Oprah? Your feelings, your emotions. The deceitfulness of sin says, yeah, all the above. Do that. It's easier and everybody will leave you the hell alone. You want to be left alone? Drop this series and go somewhere else. If you want to be haunted and pressured, Inform form cracks, and come back, and be healed, and get stronger. You know, that's what happens when you rip muscle down, when you work out, right? You tear the muscle down, it comes back stronger. If you want to do that, then stick around. But I'm not going to lie to your face and tell you that's not what's going on. Because that's exactly what's going on. You are being torn down. Some of you, it's, it's violence you've never known. To the point where you really do want to quit. You really do want to get, you can't take it anymore. You don't even know where the water, you like the guy in the, you know, like uh, the old cartoons and the submarines, and the water starts coming from everywhere, and you got a tow over here, and a, that's you. You don't even know where the water's coming from anymore, and the, the bilge pump doesn't work anymore. If you want deliverance unto peace, freedom, etc., you must have what I've been calling good data. If you have good data, then you have good faith. If you've given God the Holy Spirit something to need, K, okay, need into your soul. As I've taught in the past, and it came out this past week faith is the root of courage. Some of you are afraid, some of you are scared. When the water starts pouring in, you're like, I'm going down. I got to abandon ship. Sounds like the guys that were on the boat with Jesus who were sleeping in the bow. I got to get the hell out of here. I can't take it anymore. I'm going to start making terrible decisions. I'm going to start affecting people around me. I'm going to start affecting my pastor, my church, my fellow believers in the church. I'm going to start decimating people around me. I'm going to implode and then I'm going to explode because I cannot take it because I don't have any courage. And why, pray tell, do you not have any courage? Because you don't have any faith. And faith comes from hearing the word of Christ. So says Holy Scripture. As we saw this past week, sin discourages discourages us by rattling our faith in God's promises. Note, The key reason why a newer believer is so easily rattled is because they don't have the knowledge to substantiate said faith. This is precisely why newer believers always seem less courageous than mature believers. Why are they less courageous? Because they don't have as much of this in them yet. I'm not knocking them. We've all been there. That's the way it goes. But you know God will never tempt you with more than you're able. The interesting thing about this knowledge, faith, and therefore courage, is that it pre-exists our recognition of it. This is the, I don't want to call it paradox, but just bear with me. This is the paradox of this knowledge that leads to faith, that leads to courage. It all pre-exists us. In other words, you already have every ability. Let me explain in Holy Scripture. Go to Ephesians 1.3. Ephesians 1.3. This is one of the most encouraging things about the truth in the Word of God. Is that you don't have to work on the faculties that are able to deliver you. God has already taken care of all the details. And in many, 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 many cases... You just don't know it yet. You have to learn that something exists in you already, being wholly good in your new creature, being wholly capable by the grace of God. Ephesians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, who has blessed us. So he's gone to... He says he already has. So I was thinking about this. Just a little sidebar here. The title of the next section in my notes, a little short section here, is Faith, Deliverance, and Dorothy Gale. Do You all remember that final scene in Oz where Dorothy clicks her heels together and goes back home to Kansas? It's okay, you can admit it. Scott's like, I do Way too masculine to watch Judy Garland sh- sh- swinging an orange just around. Somewhere over the. There's <laughs> a little nighty in slippers. <laughs> I'm presuming you all know that scene. It comes at the end of the movie, and it's like, What the heck? Right? Because she just, like, had to deal with a witch and all that good stuff and these crazy-looking monkey things. It went something like this. The good witch, Glinda, said to Dorothy, My dear, you've had the ability to go back home all along. You just didn't know it. This is very much like our own experiences, a.k.a. experiential sanctification. Now, here's the question. What if Dorothy got drunk with the munchkins? Like, the Lollipop Guild, they look pretty suspect. (laughs) I think they were hitting the bottle a little bit too much. (laughs) So Dorothy gets drunk with the Lollipop Guild. And she missed the time when Glinda, the good witch, was present to inform her about her abilities. What if that happens? Missed it! Glinda comes down in her bubble, and says, where's Dorothy? She's in a a hedge over there, passed out with the lollipop guild. (laughs) Likewise, what if you're not present when God says, here's the missing piece, here's the knowledge that you need to experience my promised deliverance in your life. You know, while you're calling me unfair. What if you're not there? What if you refuse the knowledge, the truth that sets you free and delivers you? What if sin is whispering in your ear? Do you really need to read your Bible? Do you really need the word of truth to find peace and happiness? There are such things as bad questions, sin's favorite device, bad questions get you thinking and asking bad questions, um, entertaining, quote, options. Do you really need to read your Bible? Because, you know, my uncle over here, he sees seems like he's pretty darn happy. And he goes to this church with a watered-down gospel that all they do, he shows up, and they just praise him the whole time. And he comes out, and he's like, glowing and he's happy. And then I go to that North Christian church place and I come out, what the heck just happened? I feel like the, the, the monkeys in the Oz beat me up. I feel like I've just contended. What is going on? Options. Sin loves it. It's its favorite device. Do you really need to read your Bible? Do you really need the word of truth to find peace and contentment, happiness? Do you? Here's the one question that the mini-series was prompted to present to you up here on the board. Do you have reason for gratitude? Yes. Everything in this life is a privilege. Even the things God asks us to suffer for Christ's sake, it would do us well to remember that everything there's a there's a i mean like Scott mentioned on this past week there's a lot of people in our own congregation that are physically ill that suffer all the time that are suffering right now and they consider it a privilege to be alive i'm not saying they're perfect either because i'm sure they lament and complain too but you get the point there's always something to be grateful for life itself knowing that you're going to heaven, presuming you're saved, knowing you're going to spend all of eternity with the holy God of the universe, totally unfairly at at that to him, to his own justice, strictly speaking, he didn't have to do what he did. I'd say that's a pretty darn good source for gratitude. The last thing sin wants us to do is be thankful for what we do have. You know, just like in the garden. You can eat from any tree. Just not that one. Guaranteed. If I said, you can touch anything in this church, just don't touch my lip balm. Somebody in here, if the doors are closed and they're all alone, will go up there and go, Right? You know they wouldn't if I had that face too. Right? I touched it. Why? No, for real, why? That's the flesh. Remember when Paul wrote that? He says, without the law, there was nothing for the flesh to get all excited about. You put a law in front of the flesh and it gets excited. It gets excited what happened in the garden Up here on the board we're giving into sin when we stop being thankful for all things the whole church and you got to touch this this thing this used piece of lip balm you got to touch it yep why? because you're not grateful for the 99.99999% of the other things God only put that you know there was nothing special about the fruit or the tree right? he only put it there to prove a point He proved a point, right? And he's still proving the point today. We're ridiculous. We're so disgusting. I need you to concentrate now. One of the more subtle, though critical, principles that arose in our studies as of late has been this, and it's been sort of woven between, not just last week, but for a while now. I need you to concentrate. On the topic of deliverance, it is often indescribable at inception as an idea, a living hope. But once consummated by the Spirit of God, by His power and grace, it becomes plainly obvious. Faith is what gets us from hope to reality. Deliverance. It is often indescribable at its inception. How in the world is God going to get me out of this thing? I'm not seeing it. It's not going to happen. Sin's going, you're right, it's not going to happen. And that's what it said to you every single time you failed the test. You won't be happy the way he puts you. You won't be happy with your life the way it is and say, I don't know how he's going to pull this off. Satan and the kingdom of darkness and that disgusting flesh inside of you says, yeah, it seems kind of unfair that you're even in this situation. Let's talk about other options. It's often indescribable at inception as an idea, a living hope, but once consummated by the Spirit of God, by His power and grace, it becomes plainly obvious. Faith is what gets us from hope to reality. So step back now and see the big picture as we close our review of sin deceives us away from our gratitude for our healer, deliverer. What is the hallmark of the unbeliever or even the believer stuck in carnal thinking for a time? What is the hallmark of that person? You know what it is? Lack of peace. An unbeliever never has true peace. A person who's stuck, who's dysfunctional, even as a believer, lacks peace. Which is really just another way of saying they lack rest. This is why many of you lose sleep at night. You lose sleep because you lack faith. And because you lack faith, you lack peace. Many of you lose sleep because you lack peace in your soul. And think about Jesus in the bow of the ship; he had no problem sleeping. Hmm. Up here on the board, on the topic of rest, and please connect gratitude. Please follow the pearl, the string of pearls. Please connect gratitude to rest. When you're filled with gratitude, you sleep like a baby at night. It's when you start mulling over options and how life is unfair and how your wife is a jackass or your husband's a jerk or your dog keeps pooping on the rug or whatever. That's when you lose sleep. There's never a reason why you should lose sleep. If you are, something's awry. You lack rest because you lack faith. Because you lack faith, you lack peace. Oh, you want it so bad don't you who he had to, who he is wants to raise their hand and say they don't want peace oh my it's like the holy grail right of all emotions if you're gonna have one emotion, just give me peace i don't even need to ever smile again. I really don't just give me peace sometimes I think god's granting me that wish rest what is it if it's not quote being still. If we abide in gratitude, we rest in God's promises. We stop joining in the fray, which is rightly described as a frantic grab for other things that might deliver us, or at least preoccupy our minds away from the visceral pain of lack of faith. What is rest? If It's not just having that ability to be still. In other words, isn't that what God says? He just says, stop, my child. Stop. Be still. I know you're under a lot of pressure. I know you're under a lot of pressure. I know that series, you're on part 28, right? I'm not stupid. I know you want to run for the hills. I know you want to blow apart at the seams. I know you want to explode into a million different pieces of shrapnel and screw everybody else up around you. I know you want to do it, but don't do it. Have a little faith. And if you lack faith, pick up your Bible. There's a reason why I sent that guy. There's a reason why I put that bald, obnoxious guy in your life. To keep saying, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible, and to prick at you. Right? And he says, I know where your open wound is. Ugh. Nobody's ever done that? Your kids? Nobody? Rug burn? something like that. Sunburn? When you're a kid, sunburn. Your sister has a sunburn. Your brother has a sunburn. You slap him in the back. Nobody's done that. I'm the only evil person in It, it Woke you up though, didn't it? Who do you think I am? I'm just an instrument of righteousness. I'm just, I'm just here to like irritate you a little bit, to stir you up. That's right. I might kick the hornet's nest, but at least you know what's inside of you. Out come the hornets. At least you know what's inside of you. You no longer praying, playing pretend like it's all good. <laughs> What is rest if it's not just being still? If we abide in gratitude, we rest in God's promises, we stop joining the fray. You know, out there. You have options. Life is unfair. You need to take the bull by the horns. Who in here is going to say you're not a stinking control freak? Everything's about control. Control. is all i see in people anymore stop trying to control the world stop trying to control anything especially those people around you that care about you stop it you're hurting yourself you're not bringing glory to god and you're hurting those people around you who are there to help you stop it take a breather yes you're under pressure join the club Relax, sit back. You've got so much to be grateful for. God's got everything under control last time I checked. He doesn't need any control freaks helping him out. Rest. Up here on the board. We saw this this past week. 1 Peter 4, 19. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Do you trust Him? Are you suffering right now? Do you trust him? I don't even care if the suffering is completely deserved. If you're suffering, he's letting you suffer for a reason. Do you trust him? Or do you just want to keep praying, please take this pain away from me. Please take this pressure off of me. And then you start sounding, you say it the third time, you sound like Paul. Three times I implored, take this thorn away from me. Oh, Jesus said my grace is sufficient for you. Shut up. He didn't say it like that. That's Pastor Ed's version of it, right? He probably did. Jesus didn't fool around. Everybody wants to talk about Jesus being all like, la, 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 la. no, he's probably shut up. If he said, get behind me, Satan, to Peter, you know he said shut up. You know he did in his own way. I'm just saying. Sorry, Lord, if you never said that. But I think he probably did. <laughs> so if you're, I don't care why you're suffering. Do you trust them? Maybe, maybe you're living the life you're supposed to live. Maybe you've reaped what you've sown. Maybe your body is a mess. Maybe your mental, emotional state is a mess. Maybe those around, who knows? Whatever. Maybe you're one of the rare Jobs in this world who's blameless and upright. <laughs> you not say any more? So it doesn't really matter why you're suffering. Do you trust him? Do you trust him with your life? Are you gonna and complain that life is unfair, and keep looking for options, and keep making those mistakes, and keep going back to the vomit or the mire? Are you gonna keep doing that thing? Are you gonna finally hear out the spirit from this pulpit? Twenty-eight parts. I said it's not gonna be easy. It hasn't been easy. There are cracks all over the place. There are hornets swarming from every one of your hives. But do you trust God? Sin tells us that enduring said suffering is so obnoxious. Sin will tell us, sin will actually postulate that enduring this suffering is glorifying to ourselves. Right? Look at me! I have one eye, one ear, one leg. You choose it. I got cancer everywhere. But I'm such a tough man, such a man's man, that I've endured. That's what sin says. Sin says, yeah, elevate the flesh, man. You're the man. You're tough. The word of truth tells us that suffering for Christ's sake is glorifying to God. During that suffering, you are saying, "You know what? I may have one arm, but I got another arm. No, that doesn't make sense to it. I may be missing an arm, but I have one arm. I may be missing an eyeball, but I got another one. That brings glory to God because that's abiding in gratitude. This means that there exists a righteousness in thanking God for our suffering. Even I'll give you this a second time up here on the board." We're giving in to sin when we stop being thankful for all things. At this point, we dug our heels into some substantial passages of Holy Scripture in support of this. For example, up here on the board, on the topic of faith, no matter how hopeless the circumstance, our God can heal us if it's His will. Do you trust Him? If you're suffering, do you trust Him? But faith plays an integral part in that. Matthew 13:58, 14: 34 to 36, 15, 21 to 28. We looked at all those. Here's a capstone statement. Matthew 15:28. Then Jesus said to the Gentile Canaanite woman, "O oh woman, your faith is great. it shall be done for you as you wish." And her daughter was healed at once. It's absolutely astounding. Just I think about this thing. OK, so we're all in here. we're going to get a room. And we're all going to believe that by the breath of God, He created the universe. Okay? Everything in it. Seven days, you know, took, took a rest on the seventh day. The whole nine yards. All right. So we believe all that. But we don't believe He can deliver us? That doesn't even, that doesn't even register. It's unbelievable. But that's what we propose. That's what we say to Him when we lack Trust. When we, don't, when we doubt his promises, it's like, are you serious? This is, the, this is what they always said in the Old Testament. Uh, he created the stars and put them in motion. Just saying. And you doubt him? You doubt his ability to, to what? Provide for you? You have little faith. If you just had a little bit, you could move them out. So here's a Gentile Canaanite woman. With great faith, and her daughter was healed. I'm almost out of time, I didn't get through my review, but that's okay. Wrapping up our review, the culmination of our series titled "Sin Deceives Us Away from Gratitude for Our Healer and Deliverer." You realize this is a subset of the deceitfulness of sin. It's one of the things that sin does. There's the overall idea of deceitfulness of sin. And all its manifestations, and then there's one thing that it does really well takes away our gratitude for our Savior. This was at the close of that series on deliverance and eternal things. How about seeking healing from sin and our affection for it? How about that? When we talk about deliverance and things eternal. How about we seek healing from sin and our affection for it? How about seeking healing from certain lust patterns that we simply cannot defeat on our own? Anybody want to say you don't have one of those in your life? Up here on the board. How about asking him for deliverance instead of only relief from the pain? How about trusting in and being thankful for the deliverer himself? Even if it's not the time for deliverance yet, how about that one? This isn't fair. It's not fair. I'm not talking to you anymore. Till you deliver me. How about you trusting him? How about maybe delivering you would free you up to go right back into the vomit? How about he knows that if he freed you up the way you're asking, you would go. You wouldn't even like. Wouldn't even pass go. You wouldn't even collect your 200 bucks. You go straight to jail. Right from this, thank you, Lord. Right back. Because you have an addiction, you see. Your flesh is addicted to that thing that you keep running to. And the sooner you realize that and the sooner you accept it, recognize it, confess it, the better off you'll be. On a more practical note, here was a question and answer. Scott got all fancy, apparently. (laughs) Why do we put so much stock in other things, in worldly comforts and in good health, in this temporary body? Why do we let those things control us and determine our happiness? Why? Why do we do those things? Because we are listening to the sin nature within us not the spirit of the living God. It's that simple. Why do you do that stuff? Because you're deceived by sin. You may say, ah, you know what's funny about that, Pastor? I'm not deceived. I know when I'm doing it. Yeah, the deception is a little deeper than that than in your case. It's not like you're blind to it. It's like you're deceived into thinking that there's goodness in doing that thing. But there never is that that little high you get, you know, most of you are junkies. No offense. Most of you are junkies looking for your next high, right? I want my next high. I want my next, uh, I don't know. Whatever it is you do in your life that's ungodly, I need that next fix. That's all part of the deceitfulness of sin. I love how the Spirit ended the series with an excerpt from the parable of parables. Go to Matthew 13, 23. 1323. I'll close up soon, I promise. I just want to get through this review so we can start fresh. Oh, wait a minute. Tuesday's a review. A review of a review. Oh, I'm going to see how talented you are. (laughs) He goes, You'll be surprised. Is that what you just said? Yeah, that scares me. (laughs) So he ended with a parable of parables. 13, Matthew 13, 23. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it. Ah. You know, like Solomon, I'm not trying to be like Solomon, I swear. But that wouldn't be a bad thing. I really just want to know. Just give me wisdom, Lord. Just give me wisdom. You want me to shack up in a cave for the rest of my life? Just give me the wisdom so that I can tolerate it. So I don't roll around like a pansy <laughs> I don't even have my tempur pillow anymore if that's what you want just give me the wisdom to endure it isn't that all we want we don't have to change our lives we don't have to change our circumstances we don't have to whatever it is you do we don't need our next fix we just need the wisdom to know to understand well how do we live right now wow that's pretty cool The one whom the seed was sown in the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. Now in closing, if we elevate our thinking now, we might summarize, summarize our sinful blight this way. We're playing the fool. Sin gets the better of us. Deceives us. Isn't that what that really comes out You, I've played the fool. Right? Mr. T, I pity the fool. I played the fool. What are you really saying? You deceived me. You got me. Fool me once. Uh Uh-oh. George Bush moment. Shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. Play the fool. Sin plays the fool every chance it gets. Deceives you, undermines you, tricks you, tempts you, lies to you. All of it. Up here on the board, playing the fool, we foolishly being deceived by sin think that our lives are our own when they are not. You were purchased with a price. What should our perspective on our own lives be like? Go to Luke 14, 26 quickly. Luke 14, 26. not your life. As soon as you think it's your life, you become satanic. As soon as you think it's your choice, you become satanic. As soon as you think you have options outside the sovereign will of God, you become satanic. As soon as you think you're doing good by man's standards, like Peter, Christ says and whispers in your ear, Get behind me, Satan. If anyone comes to me, verse 26, Luke 14, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, And mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even hate his own life. And this is a relative statement. I've taught you this in the past. It doesn't mean you have to go being depressed about hating yourself and, you know, punching yourself and stuff. This means you love the Lord and his precepts so much that by comparison, you hate your own life. Your life is worthless, relatively speaking. And to whatever degree he can use you as an instrument of righteousness, that's as good as it gets. He doesn't need you complaining. He doesn't need to be satanic murmuring about how unfair your life is. He plucked you from certain death. He died for you. He bought you with a price, his own life, and you're going to say, this is unfair. My life matters more than this. Yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. The good Lord has expressed himself on the topic of our own lives, but yet so has our human flesh right well who's correct god or your flesh therein lies the substance of your faith and therefore your deliverance that concludes our review of sin deceives us away from gratitude for our healer deliverer next time we'll get back after scott's review of a review of a review we'll get back to uh, the deceitfulness of sin proper let's bow our heads Heavenly Father, thank you so much for setting us free. Thank you for taking the time with us today. Your patience is overwhelming. Your grace, your mercy, my goodness, Father, your mercy, your love is just beyond human comprehension. It's beyond our wildest dreams, the things that you've shown us so far. and We know, we know, Father, that there's just so much more in store because you are so great in your abundance. Thank you for comforting us. Thank you for loving us we just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned out to a lost and dying world father that needs him so desperately we ask these things in jesus christ's precious name by the power of the spirit we do pray amen